0: weeks ago, I preached for you on New Year's Day, and I said I'd be checking back with you on how your year is going, and from time to time, just checking in. <clears throat> and I wonder if you have, do you have a checklist of any kind, like a, maybe a set of goals or plans, or I'm not going to call them resolutions, um, things where you can uh, record goals that you've set for yourself, and maybe how you've done, and your achievements, and so on. Somebody sent this to me uh, just, uh, just right around New Year's, and I thought, this is good, I may adopt this myself, talking about goals, and it was kind of a top ten. Uh, the first one was, my goal for 2016 was to lose just 10 pounds, only 15 more to go. <laughs> Number two, I ate salad for dinner, mostly croutons and tomatoes, really just one big round crouton covered with tomato sauce and cheese okay, I ate a pizza. Three, how to prepare tofu. A, throw it in the trash. B, grill some meat. Love that one. Four, I just did a week's worth of cardio walking into a spider web. Five, I don't mean to brag, but I finished my 14-day diet in three hours and 20 minutes. Some of you can identify, I guess. Six, a recent study has found that women who carry a little extra weight live longer than men who mention it. Mm. (laughs) Seven kids today don't know how easy they have it, really. i got to tell you, when I was young, I had to walk nine feet through shag carpet just to change the channel. (laughs) Number eight, I may not be that funny or athletic or good-looking, that's questionable, or smart or talented. Uh, or uh, I forgot where I was going with that one. Number nine, I love being over 50 or over 60 or anywhere else because I learn something new every day, and your life isn't worth anything if you don't learn something new. So I like to learn one new thing every day. And of course, I forget five others. <laughs> And ten and last, I think I'll just put an out-of-order sticker on my forehead and call it a day. (laughs) As most of you realize, especially you husbands, should remember that February 14th, just 30 days out, is a very special day. That's Valentine's Day, and we right now are in the midst of a series of sermons on the subject of love. matter of fact, we're in 1 Corinthians 13, which is commonly known as the love chapter of the Bible. We're in a series entitled Loving Like Jesus. And uh, here's our theme song one more time. Let's listen to Ben.
1: I used to think I wanted to be famous I'd be recognized out in a crowd but the funny thing is any time I've gotten what I want it lets me down But now I just wanna look more like love I just wanna look Like love. This whole world is spinning crazy, and I can't quite keep up. It's the one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of, so I just want to look a little more like love. I used to think I needed all the answers I used to need to know that I was right I used to be afraid of things I couldn't cover up in black and white But now I just want to look more like love, I just want to look more like love. This whole world is spinning crazy, I can't quite keep up. It's the one thing around here that we don't have quite enough of, so I just want Like love I find the farther that I climb There's always another line A mountain It's never gonna stop And the more of anything I do The thing that always ends up true Is getting what I want will never be enough so I just want to look more like love I just want to look more like love Cause This whole world is spinning crazy I can't quite keep up It's the one thing around here don't have quite enough of, so I just want to look a little more like love like love
0: Church said I don't know if you've ever been in a group discussing matters such as how do I handle a situation here or how do I deal with a relationship there or what what would I say if I'm in this kind of a situation. And sometimes you get in those groups and someone will say, I I don't really know how to say I love you to someone or I don't really know how to express love and, and really mean it from the depth of my heart. And then you'll get answers back as people start, uh, they start sharing, and you get all kinds of different expressions of that, 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 that saying, I love you, and all of them are valid, and all of them make sense, and all of them meet a need at that moment, whether it's uh, just somebody doing something totally unexpected. And it just becomes a great blessing and you realize they're doing it out of love or uh, just somebody's gone out of their normal routine to make life better for you. And you realize, I wonder why they did that. And then you realize they're motivated by love or whatever it might be. The truth is you can say I love you in a lot of different ways. In reality, love is shown more by what you do than by what you say. So I want to do something a little different this morning, just for a moment or two, just for, just for a brief moment. I want us to just quiet our hearts in this place. I'm just going to ask that we be kind of in a spirit of prayer. Let's just have a season of quiet. And I want each one of us in our own way to just invite God by his spirit to come in, just, just invade our space and have his way with us. Let's just quiet be, be quiet before him And enjoy that season of inviting him in. Before I delve into this topic this morning, which is so pertinent to every single one of us, I want to pray with you, and I want you to pray with me. So I want everyone together to please pray along with me. Just repeat these words, if you will, and and cement them in your heart for these moments. Let's pray. Lord, do a complete work, everyone. Lord, in every heart here today, beginning with me, in Jesus' name. Amen. With that in mind, remember in the last installment, if you were here or you heard it, we learned that love is kind, and this morning we're going to look at another facet of love. It's a double-barreled truth. It's an acid test. I think it's the proof positive of love. And I think as we get down uh, to to get the real punchline at the end of it, you'll see why I say that. So I'm calling it today. This is number four in the series, if you're keeping track. Love's real deal. In First Corinthians chapter thirteen, we've kind of we've kind of been camping on verse four. Because there's such a wealth there of information and knowledge. But the Apostle Paul says this He said, Love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. And it's those last two phrases that we're going to consider today. And we learn that God often humbled people before he made them great. Now, look, before Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, He had to spend time as a slave. He was actually cast into an Egyptian prison, and he wasn't treated very well. And it looked like there was absolutely no hope in that dark dungeon. But out of that, he came out to prevail and to become the number two person in all of the kingdom. Before Moses, who grew up in the palace of Pharaoh, ever became the great deliverer, the great leader of Israel, he had to spend years as a shepherd in the fields of Midian. i got to tell you, that must have been a very humbling experience. And before Saul of Tarsus became the great apostle to the Gentiles, and he wrote most of the New Testament, He had to be humbled on the Damascus road by a blinding flash of light from heaven. And he heard the voice of the resurrected Lord. And I got to tell you, he was stopped in his tracks. Not just for the moment. Not just for an hour or two. Not just for today. But for much longer than that. And then he realized who who he was, whose he was, and what he was called to do. Before these people became prominent, each one of them was humbled by the hand of God. And therefore, Paul says, humility is very important. It's a great uh, part of our love relationship or relationships. And And yet, in the year 2017, I'm sad to say, humility is often disparaged in our world. Because if you practice humility... By a lot of people, you're seen as just plain weak, as just plain spineless, as just having nothing to you, just a a, a jellyfish going along with the tide. It's so sad to see that. We're much more concerned with feeling good. That's the deal now. Feel good about yourself. You can handle it. You control your own destiny. All these facetious little comments that people use, and then others hear it, and they repeat it. No idea what they're saying, but it's a, it's a way to stay away from this idea of humility and, and be proud of yourself and boast about your accomplishments and make sure everybody knows how great you are. Yeah, I know what you're thinking, and I am too, that politicians brag about what they've done, and they assure you uh, during the election campaign that what they've done, they're going to continue to do for you, and they're going to do it over again, only better, and they're going to accomplish more the next term than they did the last term. And, well, and advertisers say, I know this product seems to you to be expensive, but you know what? You deserve the best today, so go ahead and buy it. You don't want any secondhand junk. Now, the truth is, we're not a very humble people. And learning the lessons of humility does not come easy for us. Yes or no? Yes? Some of you are learning the lessons of humility, I can tell. Some of you haven't been on the road long enough. You'll attest to this fact in time to come. If we're going to have the kind of relationship with one another that God wants us to have, and God does want us to have it, because it's referred to so often in his word, then we need to understand why Paul says love doesn't boast. Love is not proud. And then we'll begin to develop godly humility in our lives. I just want to cover a couple of areas here this morning, but those two areas cover an awful lot of life for us. The first area that I want to zoom in on would be the problems that are created by pride. So let's begin with that. Problems created by pride. First problem that's created by pride is that it often produces misunderstandings. Have you ever met somebody who knows it all? I didn't mean wise for you to look at your husband. That that wasn't kind at all. I'll, I'll be dealing with that in a few minutes. It doesn't make any difference what the topic is. They've been there. They've done it. I mean, I think they created it. They know all about it. You might as well just be quiet, because you haven't been anywhere, you haven't done anything, and you certainly couldn't accomplish what they've accomplished. It doesn't matter the subject. They just start and never stop. They wax eloquent forever. And they never really listen to anybody. I I talk to people a lot. And and I get so frustrated by people who I'm trying to talk to or ask a question of or whatever. And they're so busy talking, they don't even know that I'm trying to get a word in. They're not ignoring me. They're just off on a rant or a tangent. And the reason they do that is because they're convinced in their own minds that they do know all the answers. And I always say of these people, they know all the answers, they just haven't heard all the questions yet. So many people in this world, let me give you a piece of advice. So many people in this world stop, and growth never continues, because they're just on this kick of wanting to be understood. And what they really need is to learn how to understand. Perhaps you've heard of the guy who took a first aid course, and my, he was so, so proud of that accomplishment. He completed it, did well, couldn't wait to get out there. He had just finished the course, just nicely, and he came uh, a few days later up, up upon, a, uh, upon an accident in which a person was injured. So he rushes right over to the injured person, he's attending. Starting to attend to this person, a lady, a woman was already there attending, but he took charge. He shoved everybody aside, including the woman who was trying to help, and he said, Give me room. I just finished a first aid course and I know what to do. I'm feeling better already. He knelt down beside the injured person and he started doing what he could. And the woman, who he had pushed away, stood there for a few moments, kind of stunned. And then she said this, "Uh, Look, when you get to the point in your first aid training where it says, Call the doctor, I'll be right here. You know, there are times when pride creates a misunderstanding. There are times when pride creates a lack of consideration. There are times when pride creates a, a lack of appreciation for others, who they are and what they mean in your life and what they contribute to you, not what they can do for you. And so I say the first thing to consider here, and the next time you have a misunderstanding with someone, let your mind go back to this moment. Pride often produces misunderstanding. I wish I could say, that's it, it's over, it's, that's all I have to say this morning, and if you can just kind of master that, we're okay. The problem with that is these things grow from misunderstanding. So the second thing I want to say about the problems created by pride, pride provokes arguments. In the World English Bible, in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 10, it said, pride only breeds quarrels. I love how the message reads on Proverbs 13, 10. Quote, arrogant know-it-alls stir up discord. I like the message so often because it says it like, it, like you want to hear it. It's, it's down on Main Street. It's on the bottom shelf where we all can reach it. If you put two people who know it all in the same room... Then you have two irresistible forces, two immovable objects who will not back down, will not admit they might be wrong, and the arguments will continue on and on and on and on ad nauseum. In Romans chapter 12, verse 16, and I'm going to quote from the Living Bible paraphrase it says, Don't try to act big and don't think you know it all. Hmm. Do you ever want to say that to somebody? Well, quote scripture, don't just say that. Say it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 16, don't try to act big and don't think you know it all because pride often provokes arguments. Third thing I want to say as far as problems that come out of pride, pride prevents real fellowship. Usually people who are proud will not allow you to see them as they really are there's always a veneer, there's always a cover, there's always a distraction. They try to conceal their real self to say things they think will impress you, and they never allow you to see deep inside because they're afraid that their real self will not be accepted. So they pretend to be something they are not. I... I've, I've counseled many couples over the years. I've counseled people who've been married 20, 25 years and more. And sometimes they're having problems. There's no specific time when problems start in a marriage. And there's no particular time when they heighten. And there's no particular time when they stop. I say most of them start when they hear the words, I do, but because you know I'm done when you say I do. So these people are having problems. Let's just say they've been married 20 years. I'm not picking on anybody because they don't know how long you've been married. Sometimes one of them will say, and I've heard this in my office different times, you know, I've lived with this person for 20 years, and I believe we love each other, but I've gotten to the point where I don't really know who he is anymore or I've gotten to the point where I don't really know who she is anymore, whichever. I've heard that. You know, sometimes it's difficult simply because we're always covering up something and trying to be what we think the other person would like us to be. First John 1 John 1.7 is, is the greatest antidote to this that I know of. In First John 1 John 1.7 we read, If we walk in the light... As he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another. That's a great verse because it says, if we walk in the light, what happens if we walk in the light? I'll tell you. If we're walking in the light, light always reveals. Light always uncovers. Light always highlights the real deal. So if we're really walking in the light of God, I don't have to hide anything from you anymore. And you, bless your heart, don't have to hide anything from me anymore. And we can have fellowship with each other because we're both walking in the light of God and we're walking together. That's fellowship. Pride causes a lot of problems. I think pride postpones reconciliation. And I'll just say it publicly. I don't believe there's such a thing as an irreconcilable irreconcilable, uh, relationship. And I would go on from there, but I just want to get your attention. If people are proud, they aren't usually going to be interested in backing down. They're not going to be interested in compromise. They're not going to be interested in finding common ground to rebuild. And if an argument can be found, they'll go to that. And when they do, reconciliation simply does not take place. Let me add something else you've probably never heard. I've found that as more people get involved in an interpersonal conflict, the less chance there is for reconciliation to happen. And that's not out of a textbook somewhere. That's from personal experience. Cliff Barrows. If I say that name, a few of you would know who that is. Cliff Barrows, who just passed away not too long ago, for decades and decades and decades, he he was the... He was the music director and song leader for Billy Graham and the great Billy Graham Evangelistic Crusades. He was with that association for, I don't know, 60 or 70 years. He said way back that there are 12 words that are absolutely essential for a good marriage, talking about marriage. Let's, uh, let's hear these 12 words. He said, number one, I was wrong. Number 2 I'm sorry. Number 3 Please forgive me. And number 4 I love you. So let's say the 12 words together. I was wrong. I am sorry. Please forgive me. I love you. You getting that down? Wives, did he make a note there? Has he got that written down? Yeah? Cliff Barrow said, any relationship has to have those 12 words in it, or it simply won't work. Husband and wife were having an argument one day, and finally, out of just sheer frustration, The husband blurted out, honey, I don't know why God made you so beautiful and yet so stupid at the same time. (laughs) And the woman stared at the husband, just glared at him. And she said, well, God made me beautiful so you could love me. And God made me stupid so I could love you. (laughs) I, I... I really think, I got some friends I just met, and I want you to meet them. I really think my friends, Kenny and Selma, capture it the best. They had a grandson that was getting married. They couldn't get, they couldn't go all the way uh, to, the mar- to the wedding, and they just came up with the idea of sending the new bride and groom a video. Well, just watch it.
2: Hello, everybody. We are so So happy that that you you all are are together and witnessing my Michael's and and Sue's wedding. Mike and Sue, I'd love to give you five tips to a long and healthy marriage. Number one, be good to each other. I agree. Number two, make sure that you have food in your frigidaire because you do not wanna be hungry or starved. Correct. Number three, help each other in every way financially. Yes, yes. Financially put away a couple of dollars. And, and whatever makes put away a couple of dollars. That's what we did. We saved up by putting away one of the salaries, which I'm telling no, I shouldn't say that, no, no, no and I shouldn't no. say it. Number four, always keep a clean house, make sure that your laundry is done, that your kitchen is clean, and this too would help you in a, in Wait a healthy. Wait a minute, why don't you tell him that I throw things on the floor because it falls on the floor, and you yell at me very much, everything. You dropped something. Pick wow. it up. Don't do this. Don't Thank do you. that. But you have to wait for me to tell you to pick it up, Kenny. I don't know why I dropped it. Five. Just don't argue with each other. If your I, wife... I, I, I don't argue with you. No, you, you do argue with no, me. No, you always pick on me, well, but we it, never... If I didn't argue with you and if I didn't fight you with you, we wouldn't be there together for how many years? 72 years gonna be. But here we are, the we, two of us together. We went to bed happy after our fights. That's because we were tired of fighting. <laughs> no, no. no, 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 no. Mike, Mike and, and Sue, we'd you like to wish you a hell? long And and happy happy marriage. marriage. Uh, We are now making a toast to the bride bride and and groom groom for a long long and happy happy marriage. marriage. I haven't, I haven't kissed him like that in 25 years.
1: <laughs> uh,
0: and you husbands remember give her a couple dollars now and then. That's right. That's right. Yeah. In any relationship, if we aren't willing to say I'm wrong or I'm sorry or please forgive me or admit that we love each other and desire to forgive one another, reconciliation can never take place. No wonder, Paul said, love does not boast and love is not proud. So problems that are created by pride. Now, I want to move up to steps in developing godly humility. Even though we may decide that we need to develop humility, I don't think it will always come easily for most of us. As a matter of fact, for the the great majority of us, maybe all of us. So I'm going to give you some steps that I think straight from scripture will get us there if we listen, apply and live these principles. Are you ready? Are you ready? You lost me there for a minute. (laughs) The first step in developing humility is to acknowledge our mortality. We're told in Scripture, in the book of James, that life is but a vapor that appears for a moment and then vanishes or disappears. Can I just tell you that if you're my age, you know that that is very true. We're on the downhill side of life, and it doesn't take very long to figure that out. Someone said to me not very long ago, who's even older than I am, who said, Bob, I thought it would take longer to get old. (laughs) Well, I'm here to tell you, it doesn't take very long. It seems like only yesterday we were young, and we were trudging through that deep shag carpet. And, and all of life was stretching out before us, and all these dreams and goals and aspirations and hopes were there. But the years have come, and they've gone, and it seems rapidly, probably didn't while we were going through it, and we are now nothing more than trying to come to grips with our own mortality. Bible teaches our bodies are made out of the dust of the ground. They were teaching that one day in, in the children's ministry that God made our bodies out of dust. So one day at lunch, little Johnny said to his mom, I was looking under the bed. She said, what did you find? He said, I don't know which they were, but there were a whole lot of people either coming or going God made us out of the dust of the ground, in case we get too puffed up. right? And one of these days, we're going to return to the dust. That's true. That's humbling, isn't it? To realize that these bodies that you and I have, these sculpted bodies (laughs) that we've pampered, and we've cared for, and we've admired so much, will someday be nothing more than part of the earth once again. That's where they came from. That's where they're heading. I wanted to cheer you up this morning. (laughs) And in 50 years from now, everybody uses 100 years, I use 50, no one will even remember our names So don't get too puffed up, right? So the first step in developing humility is remember your mortality. Here but for a moment, James says, just like a vapor, gone. The second step in developing humility is to remember our own fallibility, We all make mistakes. I'm looking right at you. How many eyes do you think are looking at me? Mhm. I can take it. Why? Because we all make mistakes. We do. We are not infallible. No one of us. We make decisions that are wrong. We say things that are stupid. And we do things that are downright embarrassing. And we spend a lot of our lives looking back, wondering why. How did we get there? I remember the story of the guy who went to a musical in a big concert hall. And while the lead soprano was up and singing, he turned to the man sitting next to him, a total stranger, and he said, that's horrible. That's really bad. The man said, that's my wife. Quickly, the guy, oh, no, he said, I wasn't talking about her voice. It's fine. I wasn't talking about that at all. It's the material. The song she's singing is terrible. It's not right for her. The man said, I wrote it. I admire the Apostle Paul. He never glosses over any fact about himself. Certainly, he doesn't gloss over the fact that he was once bent on doing nothing but persecuting and murdering and wiping off the face of the earth, like some people still are today, Christians. He was on hot pursuit. His idea was, we're stamping out this this strange religion, We're killing everybody who claims the name and we're not going to stop until it's completely eradicated. Later on, Paul writes this as as he's reminded in spirit of himself and he says, I am the chief of sinners yet saved by the grace of God. Wow. Wow. I think it's all right to feel good about yourself. There's nothing wrong with that. I think it's okay to consider your accomplishments once in a while. But look, every once in a while, we need to stop and remember our own fallibility. It'll help us to develop proper humility. There's a third thing I, need, I think we need as a step in developing humility, and that is we need to remember God's sovereignty. And that's a big word, and maybe you're not that familiar with it. Simply put, I'll just get it down into language I can understand. God is in charge. He's in charge. How many agree with that? Let's say it together. God is in charge. Turn to someone and say that. Because they may have some doubts about that. You said more than that. It was only four words, and some of you use at least seven. No. Those who work with people with strong addictions, like alcohol and drugs, and I don't know why we pick on those two, but whatever, that, that the reason most, most people with those addictions won't seek help 98% of the time is because of their Pride. Somebody is is, is is living in awful conditions. Maybe they only own the clothes on their back. They're waiting for someone to give them enough money to extend their, their high or their next bottle of wine or whatever it might be. And the reason they don't seek help is because of their pride. The pride comes back in, and they just can't get over that. The pride won't let them admit that they need help. Now it's the same, before we get judgmental here, it's the same with all of us in the room. You see, each of us must must reach a point where we'll come before God and say, "God, I need help. I need help. I cannot save myself. I cannot change myself." Right now, I cannot control myself with whatever might be going on in your life. I cannot uh, direct my steps. I cannot choose a, a right course. And even if I did, I can't stay on that course. And God, I need your help. And by the way, when you get to that point, let me assure you, help's on the way. We must come to God and admit he is in charge. He is sovereign over our lives. Nothing takes him by surprise. Did it ever occur to you that it's never occurred to God? Nothing ever just popped up that he wasn't ready for. He knows where you are. He knows who you are. He knows what you are. He knows what's going on in your life. He knew it before you even saw it. And he knows the answer. Why? Because he is the answer, and he's sovereign over all things. But boy, there's a great gulf, isn't there, between knowing that and getting down on our knees or on our face before God and saying, Lord, oh boy, eliminate this pride, this pride problem that I have. And let me see you for who you are, because... I know that you see me for who I am. And I'm calling on you, God, because I can't do it. I can't save myself. I can't change myself. I can't make anything different about myself on my own. But I need your help. And when you realize he's in charge and he's sovereign that will certainly help you to come humbly before God. And then I think what I'm going to call the last but, probably should have put this one first, the most crucial step to humility. So it's the fourth one, is to develop servanthood. I'm going to give you a few verses. In Matthew 20, in verse 28... Jesus said this, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life a ransom for many. Now let me ask you this. And i thought this many times, and I still it still arrests my attention as I think of it. How can we claim that we are followers of the one who put a towel around his waist, picked up a basin of water, and washed his disciples' feet. How can we say we are his followers and we're still waiting to be served? And I don't think anybody has the answer here but yeah, it's it's that one of those kind of questions that the answer should be in, implied How can this be? How can you and I as born-again believers who name the name of Christ and claim Him as our Lord, how can we say we are followers and learners and disciples of His while we're still waiting to be served? You see, the only way we can finally begin to develop the virtue of humility is by becoming a servant. That is one who is caring first about others, An interesting story came up in a big newspaper, the Miami Herald, several years ago. and reported a man by the name of David McAllister, 72, blind, a nursing home invalid, lived in North Miami Beach, and he received daily visits from a much younger man by the name of Chris Carrier. He was only in his mid-30s, who reads to McAllister from the Bible, and he comes every day. So let me just share a little excerpt from the article, if I may. Quote, their only previous relationship occurred during a few days in the year of 1974 when McAllister kidnapped 10-year-old Carrier at a bus stop and later left him for dead in the Everglades. With cigarette burns on his body, ice pick holes in one eye and a gunshot wound that left him blind in the other eye. When Carrier was asked how he could possibly stand to be around McAllister, to look at the man who had so brutally tried to murder him years ago, Carrier said this. Listen, 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 listen. Quote, I don't see a murderer. I see a man very old, very alone, and very scared. That, my friends, is servanthood at its best. Here's what Jesus said in Matthew 25, 40. Whatever you did for the least of these, my brothers and sisters, those, those, those people of mine that identify with me and I with them, whatever you did for them, you did for me. You see, the kind of love that Paul's talking about here can make a difference. And I believe this is the real deal love. So with that in mind, I'm going to leave you with a couple of verses. One I know is very familiar, and I'm going back to John 3, and I'm going to start at verse 16, and I'm going to read these words that you all know, or most of you have heard. For God so loved, so loved, it doesn't say anywhere that God loved, it says he so loved the world that he gave his only son, his one and only, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Next verse. For God, get this, did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I got a great big capital H hallelujah down in there, and it's trying to work its way up and out. Some of you are going to be freaked off your chair when it comes up. Man, he didn't send Jesus to condemn us. He sent Jesus to save us. Woo! It's working its way. See, the kind of love Paul talks about can make a difference in your family, it can make a difference in your personal friendships, it can make a difference in your neighborhood or your workplace. It can make a difference in our nation. Why? Because it's patient. Why? Because it's kind. Why? Because it does not boast. Why? Because it is not proud. And that kind of love, listen to me very carefully, can turn the world upside down. And what about you? What about you? Is Jesus, who is the Lord of love, also the Lord of your life? Are, are, are you a server? Or are you still a servee? Do you get warm and fuzzy when you read about Jesus washing the feet of the disciples? Are you or are you in that caregiving? Place where others are more important than your own needs. See, love is patient and love is kind. And love doesn't boast. And love is not proud. Love doesn't boast. And love is not proud. That's love's real deal. We're not really talking about love until we're talking about that measure and that kind of love. Here's my challenge for you and for all of us, all of us this morning. Let's just go forward and let's be focused And let's be found doing what? Loving like Jesus. Let's pray together. In the worship team, join me, please. Precious God, we thank you so much. Your word is so clear. The examples set are so poignant. They're so fresh. You loved us so much that you gave. You loved us so much that you didn't come to condemn us. As we look at the cross, we realize we were already condemned. And yet your son, the Lord Jesus, took our condemnation, took our sin, took our guilt, took our shame. And he said, I'm offering you my grace, my mercy, my cleansing, my salvation, my life, and my love, the love of the Father through which I love this world. God, we're so gracious, so grateful that you were gracious to us, that you were kind to us, that you were merciful to us. And yes, that you loved us and continue to love us. Let us go forward loving like Jesus. And we'll give you praise and lift up his name. For we pray In that matchless name of Jesus, amen.